Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Today, I introduce my guest to you, Mike Pardon. He is the CEO of Bighorn Renewables. Bighorn Renewables is based in Colorado. They process manure and other byproducts and turn them into renewable sources of energy using methane digesters. Mike, before we get into the methane digester technology discussion, can you share some information on your background and relevant experiences? Sure. So I spent vast majority of my career building companies going back to the early 90s as an entrepreneur and ultimately as an investor in the late 90s and 2000s. I worked for venture capital firms, private equity firms, building everything from energy projects in the solar and wind space in the late 2000s to very early in my career working in the telecom, semiconductors, et cetera, kind of at the onset of the internet boom. And about 10 years ago, met a number of the folks that uh, became principals in Bighorn Renewables here in Denver and have been working with them ever since. What made you decide that methane digesters was a business that you wanted to get into? It's a great question. It's not exactly a glamorous space, but nonetheless, we saw a couple of very large kind of trends in, in the global market, specifically if you look at specialty chemicals, energy sector, et cetera, where Natural gas was was the darling of sort of the movement to move away from coal with respect to power generation. And we're seeing a similar trend now with respect to decarbonizing chemical supply chains, for example, methanol, hydrogen, compressed natural gas, liquefied natural gas, et cetera. And in surveying the market four or five years ago, there was a little bit of dairy gas available, most of which was going to California. And being a Coloradan, lifelong Coloradan, I couldn't help but wonder why beef cattle feedlots were not being leveraged from the standpoint of all this organic material in the form of hundreds of thousands of tons of manure a year was not being taken advantage of, not being used to generate gas. So we began essentially a research project about four or five years ago that ultimately led to an opportunity that we identified, wrote a business plan for, and raised money and established Bighorn Renewables. Mike, methane digesters are not new. So what makes Bighorn Renewables different and why enter the market now? Sure. It's a great question. So as you've spoken to, you know, methane digestion, anaerobic digestion of organic matter has been around for over 100 years. It goes back to pre-World War II Europe and it's not a new concept, but what is a new concept is being able to find the right technology to digest specifically cattle feedlot manure. If you're not aware, your listeners and viewers certainly may be. Dairy digestion involves digesting cattle manure, but cattle manure that's diluted by 90 to 95% water. And in those situations, you use very large waterproof containers to digest the manure. In our case, our manure is less than 50% water, in some cases down to 35%. So very, very dry matter. Our manure is collected in a very different way. Ours being beef cattle feedlot manure is collected in a different way. Whereas in dairy, you'll use water often to flush or sweep the barns, clean them frequently for hygienic purposes, as well as general sort of ease of collection. In the case of cattle feedlots, these beef cattle arrive on a lot and spend the better part of six months, the last six months of their lives on the feedlot. 
all the while eating, sleeping, and of course, defecating in the same pens. That amounts to an awful lot of material and it requires large, heavy equipment to move it. It's just handled in a very different way. And what we found is traditional approaches to anaerobic digestion just do not work for cattle feedlots. We, in our research, found several examples throughout the Rocky Mountain West of temps over the years. Not a single one has been successful. So we learned from mistakes made in the past and spent the better part of two and a half years of research and development and scouring the globe for the right technology to make this work. So as of right now, Bighorn Renewables, you're only dealing with the feedlot sector of methane digesters, not dairies or anything else? Or That's correct. Uh, in our assessment, the gold rush in the dairy RNG space has come and frankly gone. Uh, my, my belief is that the majority of very large dairies have already been developed and or are under contract to be developed. We saw this trend really starting as early as 2015, 2016, a few projects before that. Uh, but these are, are were typically 20, 30, 50,000 head mega dairies in California and, and Wisconsin and other places. Colorado does not have that sort of dairy infrastructure. We have a few larger dairies, you know, 5, 10,000, 15,000 head dairies that have already been developed. We saw, you know, the opportunity to do a couple of small dairy projects. We're working with a few farmers in northern Colorado at the moment, but our core differentiated focus is really in the beef cattle feedlot and potentially in some of the cattle processing upstream or rather downstream from where we are in the future. But we're very focused on getting our first projects up and running, the first three of which will be here in the state of Colorado. Mike, can you explain exactly how a methane digester works, kind of the behind the scene process, if you will? Sure. It's fairly basic. So if you remember your high school chemistry and biology classes, we all learned that that all organic matter is carbon-based. All organic matter ultimately breaks down, whether it's goldfish you bury in your backyard or dinosaurs from several million years ago. All organic matter decomposes at varying rates by virtue of bacteria, bacteria that essentially consumes that organic matter. And in the process of consuming it, off-gasses methane and CO2. That process is replicated in landfills today. So you may be familiar with landfill RNG, but essentially what the earth does over the course of tens and hundreds of thousands and millions of years, a landfill does in 25 to 30 years. We do with respect to these anaerobic digesters in the space of about 30 days. So it's an accelerated decomposition. We add bacteria to the organic matter we're digesting. Ours happens to be beef cattle manure, and that bacteria adapts to that feedstock, adapts to that food source, and through being excited through heat and moisture, we're able to get those bugs to do their job and make gas for us. That process is identical to a dairy. It's just the vessel and processes required to, to make that work are slightly different. I hope that was helpful. It is. And the end product is reusable energy. That's correct. You know, we make about 60% of the gas that comes off the digester is in fact methane, the same chemical structure that our pipeline natural gases that, that you know, we're very familiar with here in, in northern Colorado. We are able to then clean it up and put it into the pipeline so that anybody connected to a natural gas connection can utilize 
the gas. It's chemically no different than what we see today in our homes, you know, to, to heat our water and cook our food. Who then purchases the methane energy? Well, that's a very interesting and central question. There's a number of emerging markets. Over the course of the last eight to 10 years, California has led the development of this renewable natural gas phenomenon by virtue of incentivizing dairies and swine operations to produce gas and ultimately sell it in the state of California for use in their transportation markets. That generates, if you will, effectively a carbon credit off the back of a carbon tax that state administers to net polluters like refineries and chemical companies. That market has fostered a very lucrative business. We see other states, such as Washington, Oregon, soon to be New York State, implementing similar programs. Governor Polis here in Colorado has message to that effect, but we're still several years away from seeing anything of, of the sort here. So there is a state carbon credit market that one can take advantage of. Unfortunately, cattle feedlot RNG is not eligible for those, those state of California credits. So we look elsewhere. So happens that in the state of Colorado, we have something referred to as the clean heat program. And that was a, uh, a piece of legislation that Senator Chris Hansen uh, put forth in 2021 and passed. It was signed into law. That legislation mandates that the utilities here in Colorado, predominantly Excel Energy, Black Hills, Colorado Springs, Atmos, et cetera, they're mandated to clean up their fugitive methane emissions. That is, clean up their networks, make their networks free of leaks, right down to the individual homeowner. And you might have read in the press some efforts to uh, to to replace natural gas stovetops and water heaters with electric. It's all part of that same initiative. They're trying to reduce the amount of methane released into the atmosphere. Well, as it happens in Colorado, the only mechanism to offset those fugitive methane emissions and the investment that an Excel or Black Hills would need to make in their distribution networks is to buy renewable natural gas made in Colorado. And so our first few projects, we are making the gas in Colorado with Colorado feedlot operator partners, and we're selling that gas to the utilities. Those utilities are then using the carbon offsets that we generate, the methane avoidance offsets, as a mechanism to comply with that legislation. In the future, we'll see a number of other industries mature. There's a lot of hype today around Things like renewable hydrogen, renewable methanol, for example, low-carbon methanol, low-carbon hydrogen, low-carbon liquefied natural gas for export to Europe. All of these industries are emerging. There's also a macro sort of business trend referred to as ESG, where people, companies voluntarily buy what amounts to be much more expensive renewable natural gas to offset their fossil purchases, fossil gas purchases, and in doing so have a lower carbon footprint, or so the theory goes. So all of these are potential markets for us, but uh, we're very focused on initial Colorado markets and you know, in parallel to that, developing projects in Nebraska, Kansas, Texas, and even up in Calgary. Mike, where does the energy that is created from the methane then go? Does it go into a grid? Indirectly. So unfortunately, our process, any anaerobic process, manufactures methane, predominantly methane, 60% thereabouts. The balance of the gases produced are CO2, 
which is in, in fact, in and of itself, a greenhouse gas. It's referred to as a biogenic CO2. So the EPA views it as a net neutral issue. But we intend to actually sequester that CO2. That is, working in conjunction with the oil and gas industry and several others, there are businesses today developing the mechanisms to sequester, inject that CO2 underground and permanently render it inert and unable to, to affect our environment in any way. There are two projects in our region that are under development that should come online in 25, 26. We're in, in negotiations with both of those operators and hope that our CO2 will go to them. But we need equipment to separate the gases. And that's referred to as gas cleanup. Essentially, it's the same technology used by the oil and gas industry today to remove the CO2 and sulfur and other contaminants that are in gas that they pull out of several thousand feet below the surface. That gas cleanup technology is in and of itself very expensive, but we have to employ that in order to upgrade our gas to pipeline specifications and then convey that to the operators, the utilities, et cetera. Is that technology currently in place for you to do that or does that still have to come? It's absolutely a commodity. There are dozens of companies today that make this technology. It's been in use since pre-World War II, the basics of the technology. And there are three, I don't want to get too geeky for you, but three general approaches to removing CO2, removing oxygen, removing sulfur from gases. The oil refineries use it. The specialty chemical companies use it. The industrial gas companies that make the oxygen that they send to hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, use it. So it, it's a very well understood technology. We have our access, if you will, to off-the-shelf solutions. Our engineering teams build these existing solutions into our plants, and it's no different than, if you will, building a building or backup generator. I mean, it's an off-the-shelf component that is integrated and ultimately uh, managed to produce our end product, which is, in fact, renewable natural gas. Mike, I know you mentioned some areas where you're working on digesters. My question to you is, does the digester technology change based on where the location of the feedlot is? It's a great question. I guess I'd start by saying our digester technology is unique. There was one company in the world that we found and through our testing determined can digest feedlot manure cost effectively and do so in a way that you can build a business around. That technology comes from Europe. We are the exclusive U.S. licensee of that technology, and we'll have that for decades to come. So with the last several years of testing, et cetera, we've developed a templatized digestion sort of template, for lack of a better word. And these digesters are vessels that are really analogous to a grain silo, 120-foot tall, 50-foot-odd wide. And basically, they are constructed on site with our feedlot partners. And the way that we scale the digester infrastructure relative to the size of the feedlot is simply the multiples of these digesters required. So, for example, our first project here in Colorado is in Brush, Colorado, with our partners, the J.A. Timmerman Cattle Company. Dan Timmerman, the operator, has allocated land immediately adjacent to his working feedlot so we're building this facility on site. And this particular facility, there are 
45,000 head of cattle resident on his particular feedlot, Paneo. And we are importing some manure from adjacent feedlots as far as Fort Morgan, several miles down the road. That manure is delivered to site and will go into one of five digesters, five of these 120-foot-tall silos, where it will then be turned you know, from manure into gas and digesting. If we compare that to our second project that we're working on right now, designing for Sterling, Colorado area, that project will have the equivalent of 160,000 head, much, much larger across four different feedlots in that general area. And that project will see probably closer to 10 digesters uh, once it's fully ramped up. So again, it's a matter of scalability by virtue of adding additional capacity. Mike, I know you mentioned a specific size on the digester. Is that the only size that you have? Generally speaking, we cannot make the economics work for a feedlot much smaller than, say, 40,000. What we often do is look for an anchor tenant that is a a site with at least 40,000 head. Some of our sites have 100,000 head. One has 150,000 head on site. But we look for an anchor of about 40,000 to you know, 40 to 60 in that range. And that we can make the economics work. We then look for the possibility of other partners in the immediate area that we might be able to truck manure from. And in it's a combination of really the tonnage of manure available to us that drives the number of digesters. So a single digester would be probably the equivalent of, I don't know, 10,000 head, thereabouts, eight to 10,000 head. And that would just be uneconomic for us. An average project, we're looking at about 75 to $100 million all in by the time you buy the digesters, build the infrastructure, miles and miles of piping, electrical, lots of concrete, barn structures, operations, offices, et cetera, on site. They're quite expensive. And so we look to kind of creating a templatized approach that we can, if you will, copy and paste from, say, brush to another site or double the size in Sterling, et cetera. And so we've created these building blocks and, you know, our business model going forward is to do many, many, many of these things. We are working right now with over 30 feedlot operators in the Rocky Mountain West from the Panhandle of Texas right up through Calgary. And there are quite literally hundreds of them. And so we're making our way through that. We have been working with some outside financial partners that are helping to facilitate the capital required to do this because it's very capital intensive. And our internal goals here are to do, or rather build seven plus of these in the next four to five years, sort of rapid trajectory to be the player in the cattle feedlot RNG space. How long is the life of a digester? Interesting. So they're designed for better than 40 years. So you, know, you can kind of view this as a, a semi-permanent piece of equipment and or entirety of the infrastructure. The reality is the business models around this are predicated typically on 20 to 30 year runs. It's comparable to dairy. A lot of the dairy projects that we've seen are modeled at 20 years. That's with routine maintenance. These things are constructed out of U.S.-made steel. They're fairly large, rather complex piping, et cetera, et cetera. So it requires very consistent maintenance. But these things, in theory, should last well beyond the 40-year design life if they're taken care of. What is the cost of a digester? 
Well, a digester is about 60% of what the project costs. So in the case of our brush project, that's going to come in at probably in that 75 to $90 million range. So the digesters would be just a little over half of that. So very, very expensive. And if you think about it, we're talking hundreds, thousands of tons of steel constructed on site into these large vessels. And then all the piping and, and electrical that goes in and out of these things, et cetera. It's a very substantial investment. These are very profitable, very interesting sort of business models in and of themselves. And uh, we found that our feedlot partners really are embracing us and embracing the opportunity to do this. So that's 60%. The other 40% then is like infrastructure, construction costs, things like that. Exactly. So the 60% would include the construction fabrication, if you will, of the digesters and all the componentry going in and out of them. The balance of the plant, that 40%, is the gas cleanup infrastructure required. It's the foundations for each of these vessels, concrete, if you will. It's the road improvements required. We're going to be co-residents on these feedlots with partners. We have full-time staff that need to be there to manage these things. So there'll be buildings and barns and such constructed as well. Plus, all of our projects are in rural areas that don't typically have the same natural gas supply, the same electrical supply as one might find closer to the cities. And therefore, you know, a big part of the construction cost is building pipeline or building electrical connectivity to support these projects. So that can end up being in the single digit millions per site just to get a natural gas pipeline connection. My question now is, does your company then collaborate or work with other entities that are buying, selling and marketing those carbon credits to other businesses or other organizations? The short answer is we do. In general, our philosophy, Bighorn, has been to build a business that is not dependent on government subsidy or political whim. And frankly, that's challenging in today's world, particularly on these very expensive projects. So for example, with our Colorado Clean Heat Initiative, our renewable natural gas is being sold directly to the utilities. They are able to generate a recovered methane credit for the gas that they buy from us. The recovered methane credit is a theoretical offset, if you will. It is not a government, rather a sort of state or federal administrated program per se, unlike dairy gas that goes to California and the state of California gives a credit, the federal government gives a credit in the form of what's called RINs. We don't participate in that for these first several projects. We may in the future, and certainly to the extent that our gas is used to make transportation fuels, we will be eligible for some of those EPA-administered credits down the road. For that, we partner with folks. We're not in the business of buying and selling credits and dealing in, in that space, but we have a number of trading partners that can facilitate that for us that we've lined up. But frankly, we don't anticipate doing that directly in the coming future. When it comes to the construction of a digester then, Mike, do you have to meet certain regulations and requirements such as setbacks? Indeed. So it really is, in some respects, no different than a current operator building a new barn or a silo to store 
corn that they're flaking, whatever it might be. Certainly there may be zoning challenges. Certain counties we've experienced are, are more open to development, open to uh, the zoning, the permitting and whatnot required. We have not in Colorado run into a single roadblock with respect to doing what we're doing. As I think I mentioned earlier, the analog to the digester from an outside visible perspective is a grain silo. And I can't count the numbers of hundreds of grain silos that I drive by on 76 going to northeastern Colorado. So it really, from the outside, looks no different than that. So we found a tremendous amount of support from the local communities. Not to say that they're all going to be the same, but the main projects that we've developed so far are. But we obviously have to comply with any state, county, city regulation, zoning, et cetera. There are things like air permits. So we have a, uh, a sort of state level EPA here in Colorado, the CDPHE and the Air Quality Control Commission. We apply for permits from them. Certainly we need to have operational permits and the like for operating these facilities once they go into production. And all that is part of the pre-planning process that we go through, including getting to know the local community and through the economic development groups, through local uh, city councils and uh, county commissioners and the like. We do our best to become part of the community that we, we operate in. Mike, what are some common questions that you get from people or from economic developers when we're talking about methane digesters? Sure. Well, I guess uh, perhaps a, a very important one to our feedlot partners is, why should I partner with you? What are you going to do for me? I think it's a fairly straightforward answer, but behind the curtain, there's a lot of substance. So when we come in to partner with a feedlot operator, the most obvious benefit is an economic one. We've been able to demonstrate to the operators that we work with a very, very significant uptick in their annual operating profit on these sites. And this is purely incremental. We do not ask our feedlot partners to invest in our business. We don't ask them for a dollar. We ask them to partner with us and work with us to generate mutual benefit. In addition to the dollars and cents of this, the feedlot operators are able to demonstrably improve the animal health and welfare on their sites. If you can imagine a feedlot pen being cleaned out on a slightly more frequent basis, meaning that the cattle are not traipsing through the muck, if you will, after a big rainstorm to the extent that they currently might, or just simply having less obstruction on the feed apron, et cetera. All these things add to, to really a benefit of the feedlot operator in the sense of being able to put the pounds on the animals in a greater or accelerated fashion. And lastly, our presence allows our operators to be better stewards of the environment and land. We're able to take that manure that today may be surface applied for fertilizer, but historically has been a cost center. We're able to take that, extract the gas, and provide back a digestate, which is the solids that are coming out of these digesters after we take the gas out of them, a digestate that's more bioavailable and better for fertilizer purposes. We've even been able to demonstrate an alternative use case for the digestate in terms of fuel, making those that digestate into fuel pellets. It so happens that that digestate has the same energy density that wood does. And so we're able to bring some new and compelling opportunities to the table that really sort of allow the feedlot operators to diversify and limit their exposure to some of the agricultural cyclical cycles 
or you know the beef price or the corn price, et cetera, et cetera, and bring in a new dimension that allows them greater predictability and stability in their revenue. As we know, technology is rapidly changing all the time, feels like it's faster than ever, in my opinion. Are the digesters made with technology changes in mind over the course of their 40-year life cycle? Absolutely. So if you think of a digester, it is a shell, a, a skeleton on which we have a number of pieces of operational equipment. We're taking the manure, we're pumping it into this digester. The technology in this particular digestion space is very much the same that it was, call it 100 years ago when it was first conceived of. But these incremental operational improvements and new ways of doing things have enhanced the productivity and yield of these digesters. It's no different in our case. So our vendor began in in the mid-80s and has 40 sites in operation in Europe and Asia, many of which have been in continuous operation for 30-plus years. And that's 30-plus years with routine maintenance. And for example, in these systems, the pump technology has evolved quite a bit. In fact, in our designs for brush, we're using a cement pump that is used to pump cement up you know, 50 to 70-story skyscrapers. These are extraordinarily robust pieces of equipment. And you know, it's state-of-the-art technology being used in, in an application that probably looked very different 20, 30, 40 years ago. So we build everything with that in mind, with routine maintenance in mind, try to minimize the amount of of moving parts, wear parts, try to minimize the mean time between failure for all of our equipment so that we don't end up with downtime. If we're not making gas, we're not making money. And so we're very cognizant of designing for success and designing for upgradability and growth in the future. Mike, anything else you want to mention here today? We found this space to be extraordinarily welcoming, but at the same time, it's all about doing what you say you're going to do and being a good partner. And, you know, we feel that integrity and and doing the right thing and, and making good business will propagate itself. We're in it for the long term. We are really enjoying our experience thus far in this space and really think we've got a a great group of partners and very much forward to the decades to come. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on the show here today and taking time to talk about methane digester technology. Again, my guest, Mike Pardon, CEO of Bighorn Renewables. And thank you all for tuning in to the show here today. For Successful Farming, I'm Lori Boyer.